Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jotham Busfield. I'm here with John Cuna. Today, we're going to be discussing Ben Simmons. We're going to try to go light. Uh, no, we're not. Uh, we're Celtics fans, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going to be honest here. Um, yeah. You know, it, so we'll start with what's going on with Ben Simmons. I mean, he's he's been on the Sixers now for, what, I think five years, roughly. Mm-hmm. I didn't look it up. but 2017, um, I think he was. Yeah, yeah. roughly. Yeah, 2000. So maybe this is he's going into his fourth year, fifth year, fifth I think year. fifth year. Yep. Um, and he's someone who, you know, I think he was the first pick in the NBA draft. And then, you know, coming out of, I think it was LSU, he did like the whole one and done documentary and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's someone who, you know, that shooting was not his his strength. You know, I think he's a 6'11", a point guard, right, mm-hmm. who's like one of the best defenders in, in all of basketball. Yeah. So that ability to be sort of run and gun, uh, distribute, and then play defense, and obviously be 6'11", uh, yeah. or 6'10", yeah. are his main attributes, his main strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they thought with some time the shooting would come along. Yeah. But we're at a point now where I think it hasn't. And um, it's, we don't, we're not fully equipped with all the information here. We don't know what his off-season regimen is. We don't know how hard he's working. We, we don't know any of that stuff. No. I mean, I think there's been reports that he's not as hardworking as other people or is not willing to focus on the things that he needs to improve as much as uh, other people are. But we don't know that. I mean, right. it could be the case. might not be. Um, I know I certainly see enough videos of him putting videos of himself out there um, draining uh, step back Jays <laughs> over five foot five people in a gym somewhere <laughs> in Milwaukee. But, um, you know, so maybe he is putting in the work. I don't know. But lately what's happened is that at the end of last year's playoffs, you know, he really got exploited in the playoffs. I think it, if you're a running gun point guard, and, you know, that works during the regular season when you're playing a bunch of, like, shitty teams, excuse my language, but, like, teams that, like, you know, half the half the league is not going to be competing on a night-to-night basis. Right. Um, and so that's part of it. You get in the playoffs, you're playing a very good team for seven games in a row at most. Um, the other thing is in the playoffs, things slow down a little bit. It becomes much more of a half-court game in basketball than it does a full-court game. Mm-hmm. And so if your strength is pace and run and gun – that that kind of goes away or at least gets right. uh um you know negated a bit in the playoffs and so you have to be able to play a half court offense and that's just not his strength and he's a point guard where you want your point guard to be able like to be able to take free throws at the end of the game because that's a huge asset yep and he can't he's the opposite he's a horrible free throw shooter and they just right. totally exploited that they were like fouling him intentionally and things like that and it it just led to this um scenario where he was clearly hesitant and passive and not not passive like a point guard passes but passive like avoidant right mm-hmm. um in, in the game and they just couldn't play him i mean i think in the fourth quarter in the uh, in that last playoff series i don't think he played at all really or, mm-hmm. or doc rivers was limiting his minutes and you know it, it affected the team and i think in a city like philly with that fan base um it it was clearly i don't even if ben simmons did not demand out i don't know that it would have been uh doable for him um, yeah. maybe like the people the athletes with the most mental toughness could handle i think Embiid could right he's someone who would probably just flip off the entire philly fan base and just keep rolling he's always been pretty vocal <laughs> he's got that yep. that skill um to be able to kind of tune that out a little bit but ben simmons is someone who is in one of the worst situations um based on that fan base and i think he's the last person that wants that so we're going to get into that a little bit maybe just hear your general thoughts about ben, ben simmons and the situation he finds himself in where he's demanding a trade I think it's about time. I think it's probably been a long thing, like a long time yeah. coming for him. I think um, I think there was a lot of expectations put on him coming out, right? Like he was like the guy, right? Like this was the guy that was going to do that, and they've put in five years to try to get that, mm-hmm. and they haven't. There's always just been more and more disappointment. Yeah, he's never gone past like the ceiling that he 
first reached. That he, that he yeah. kind of reached, yeah. and I think he, you know, I don't think he, and again, we can't speculate on his work ethic, and we talked about this in our previous episode, but like all the stuff and the work that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see, I'm sure he's putting that stuff in. There's been a couple of things that came up through interactions or quotes from different people around him, like Doc Rivers or Embiid, that does sort of start to shine a little bit of light on inside perspective of like what's what's going mm-hmm. on um, like in terms of in his mindset yeah, yeah like his mindset i think you know as as a fan watching him um there are certainly you know plays or things where you're sort of like left scratching your head right like that game seven pass right you're just like what was that about right and that was one of the things that both Embiid and doc rivers talk about and i'll get to that in just a second um but there's lots of things like that that come up. Like um, he's he he. There's situations where he looks like afraid, uncomfortable. Um, you know, we specifically are out, outside the perimeter. It seems like he just like refuses to do that, and um, and just different things that come up. Like with me, with my perspective of like mental fitness and um, and those types of like concepts, I see a lot of things that. I think he could improve upon mm-hmm. um, just from a, a player standpoint. I don't know how much stuff is going on behind the scenes, but um, you know, after that game seven loss, some of the stuff that Doc was saying when they got asked, like, do you know, do you think Ben Simmons will ever be like a top point guard in the league? And his answer was like, I don't know how to answer that. Mm-hmm. That's not really a great response which from your from that, your head coach. When you said that had a huge impact on his trade value too, which I, I would imagine the GM was pissed after that because you can't make comments like that because if you're going to trade him or he demands a trade, you just submarined his value from within. You big know? time, yeah. right? And I th- and I think it was a big shift. I think Doc really tried. And I widely respect Doc Rivers, obviously, uh, but he, um, you know, for the whole season was really working to try to like. He's a member of this team. He'd been really floating him and been really been talking him up in the press and like, you know, really defending him. Um, and then game seven happens. And I think it just kind of like, I think for Doc, it was sort of like the breaking point for him of like, I don't really know what else I can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and for me, reading between the lines, and again, this is all speculation, but it speaks to like how much work Doc had probably been doing behind the scenes to try to get this guy in a better headspace. And then the blunder of game seven and it was like i don't know what to tell you anymore right like i've been defending this guy this whole season and now he's just kind of like mm-hmm. really flopped and i don't really know what to tell you yeah it's interesting because like we, we we definitely try not to speculate i would say we do a pretty good job of not speculating when we're when we ha- when we don't have information about certain right. things right like off-season stuff like we can't know where he is we don't know how much time he's putting in so it, it, that stuff we're not informed enough to speculate right but we can spe- we can i would say assess yep. body language, right? Yep. That's something that we do in our professional work. Right. I think, um, you know, I don't know what the cliched expression is, but like 90% of communication is nonverbal, that yep. kind of thing. Yep. We're big believers in that. I mean, I think, you know, as uh, licensed therapists for a living, like we pay, t- and this is why, you know, having sessions when people weren't wearing masks is kind of a no-no, where right? you either do yep. Zoom or you sit far enough apart to like be able to see the person without a mask. Right. Um, because you have to be able to see their face, like mm-hmm. their, their expressions, their demeanor, their posture, um, you know, that kind of stuff plays a huge role in communication and it speaks volumes. And I've watched Ben Simmons play for almost five years now. Mm-hmm. And his nonverbal communication is that of someone who doesn't give a shit about basketball to me. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, he could be, sometimes we communicate things we don't actually mean, mm-hmm. verbal or nonverbal. So right. it could be the case, right? Yep. Um, but from what I've gathered from watching him plays, I don't, I don't think he's someone that if, you know, if he could do something else and make this much money, I think he'd be doing something else. That's mm-hmm. my assessment of him. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Not everyone is like built to be 
or born to be like someone who loves being a professional athlete. I think I'm actually surprised more people uh, aren't bogged down by the, uh, we've talked a lot about professional athletes and just the stressful aspect of that existence of fame, of having a ton of money, people coming out of the woodwork of, there's a lot of different things that yeah. I think on the surface, most fans are like, yeah, you should be happy and you should be you healthy. Make millions like, you of dollars, make what do you have to complain about? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I'm not going to fault Ben Simmons. Like if he does no. not, if he's not, not the most passionate person about basketball, totally fine but it does come through um in his play in terms of how he looks on the court doesn't look like he's a very happy person um, right and maybe that's basketball maybe it's other things so i think that's something that stood out to me i don't know if you've seen that yeah definitely and and for me again that speaks to someone who has a hard time like either compartmentalizing the game of basketball that i imagine he started playing because he was deeply passionate about it and somewhere along the lines maybe maybe lost. not maybe yeah. not right yeah. maybe it was like you're super freak tall, you're tall and, and you're athletic. And you're, athletic yeah. and you're gonna play basketball. I don't, I don't yeah. know, right? That that could be a, that could be a piece of it too. But the stuff that comes along with fame um, isn't really. I think to your point, it's dismissed as like you're making millions of dollars. What do you possibly have to complain about? Well, you're getting people you've never met before calling you trash and terrible constantly on yeah. a constant basis. You're meeting people are calling you know cat calling you when you're just trying to walk around, go to go to deals, give, give me this signature. Like it's. It's incredibly stressful yeah. to be put in that type of position, and especially in a in a city like Philly, where they take their sports very, very oh, yeah. seriously. It's They're very ruthless. similar to, to, to Boston, right? Like, if you don't perform in Boston, you get ridiculed by your own fans. It's very yeah. similar in yeah. Philly, um, and I think that I, I think it wears on people, and I think that's why it speaks to the importance of working on keeping yourself protected from mm -hmm. that deterioration. I do, unfortunately, think that for a lot of athletes, that happens. Like, it's not necessarily the the physical component that wears you down in, in pro sports. I think it's the mental one that wears you down. I'm just like, why do I continuously put myself in this position? Like, yeah, sure, I'm making millions of dollars, but there's something to be said when that isn't enough. Yeah, right. who am I doing this for? That has to kick in when you, you're getting paid, but like everyone else around you seems to hate you, or like at least I know it's sports hate, but like that's that he's still a person, right? That you're going to feel that. Like everyone's human, they're going to feel yeah. that. That's got to weigh on you after a while. And I, the other thing is like you know Jackie uh, McMullen, who we've talked about multiple yeah. times on this podcast, uh, has has spoken to her perception. And again, this is just her opinion. I agree with it, but her perception that he. Um, he's got this perfectionistic streak and, a, and an unwillingness to fail or look bad. And that's what prevents him from taking threes. Like he could be, you know, her, her hypothesis that is that he could be a 32, 33% three point shooter, which isn't bad. I mean, like, especially if he's doing all those other things, you almost need to do that to keep the defense honest. Cause if you're going to hit at least one out of three, then that's, that's enough to build off of, right? right? You want him closer to like 38 to, you know, 40, 40. And ideally over 40, but yeah. If he's at least in the low 30s, like that's workable, but he refuses to shoot because if he can't shoot enough that he'll feel good about himself at that percentage, he just refuses to. Yeah. And that seem, does line up with what kind of seems to happen because he refuses to do it. Um, and it's interesting. This kind of reminds me of she's spoken to, she's spoken about Dwight Howard in the past doing the same thing where in practice, he'll just like, you know, sit there and, and nail jumpers and then admit that he won't do it in the game because he's afraid of missing and what that means. Like it to me, it shows you that even people at this highest level, have these types of fears and those fears block them from being mm -hmm. able to like actually follow through and put themselves in a position to fail and get better. So that's something, what, what do you think about that from Jackie Mack? Yeah, I mean like loss aversion is kind of the thing that, that, that comes yep, up, right? Yep. Like they're, you're more afraid of losing or looking bad than you are of not, like of looking, of being successful. Which I, what's the, what's the irony of that? 
For what? For for loss aversion and what that oh, does. Oh, then you end up just playing worse anyway. That's right? what I mean. So it just it becomes, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. you're afraid of taking the shots. So you won't take the shot. And then you never get yourself in a position where you can be successful and build off of confidence when really is just it doesn't matter if you shoot or not. You just want to be shooting. Exactly. Um, and you're not going to get any better if you don't put yourself in positions yeah. to, pr- to practice. And the more that you... F- feed into that loss aversion, the worse it gets. Yep. And I think we've seen a little bit of that from um, from from Ben in terms of like the the perimeter shooting and, and things like that. And I also think that it ties into the the amount of pressure that he probably either puts on himself or is put on him from outside perspectives, mm-hmm. both the team, like these are our expectations of what like the coach is telling me you need to be doing this. That's a big weight to hold. Um, you know, he's we spoke about this before in a previous podcast, but like he's probably been one of the best players like wherever he's been for his whole life um and now he's got like the weight of the world on top of him and that's a big that's that's a lot to shoulder and every missed three is like uh you suck you're not doing it you're not living up to the expectations Mm -hmm. right and again speculating of like what his what his um what his mental feedback might be but that's kind of how it looks from a from a fan perspective of like if i just don't put myself in that position no one can talk shit about me or no one can tell me that i'm bad but in reality now it's become the conversation he's been fearing of like why isn't he taking the threes he's not taking enough threes mm-hmm. so to your point like the irony of it is that he's just now put himself in the position that he's probably been fearing from not taking those shots absolutely it's almost like the the need to look good or maybe more accurately like the need to not look bad mm-hmm. is his priority over playing as best as he can Mm -hmm. right or getting better or improving or that kind of thing his priorities are out of whack and sometimes that comes from just the flack you've gotten from other people and the social uh the social dynamic and Mm -hmm. and the fear that comes from that so a lot of times i think it comes from insecurity i think that's what drives it most of the time the biggest example of this in my opinion that i've ever come across particularly in basketball is the you ever heard of of rick barry the whole underhand foul shooting thing you Mm -hmm. ever seen this no it's fascinating so rick barry is someone who played um you know he's he played in the nba um, he had two sons that both played in the NBA. I think Brent Barry, who won a slam dunk competition, mm-hmm. and, and someone else. And Rick Barry, when he played in the NBA, he was famous for shooting free throws underhand. <laughs> and he perfected this to the point where he can teach anyone. He, he's gone on record as saying, I can teach anyone to shoot over 80% shooting free throws. And Because something about shooting it underhand is, yeah. is a lot easier in terms of uh, the um, consistency and, ter- and also the like the... I guess the strength at which it hits the rim, so it's a little more forgiving because it falls more gently on the rim when you shoot it that way. Yeah. So it's, you're more likely to get a bounce and that kind of thing. Cool. Um, and it's also easier to kind of keep it straight. So anyway, Rick Barry has gone on the record talking about how he could turn anyone into an 80, 85% free throw shooter, if not better, if they were willing to shoot like this, but no one's willing to shoot like that. Yeah. And it, it fascinates me because it, you'd think if you're in the NBA, right, this is like Alex Caruso times 10, I think, like, mm-hmm. you know, to the next level where if you're, if it, if you knew that you could shoot 90%, but you had to shoot underhand and that would make the difference of staying in the NBA and not, I bet you anything most would still not do it. And they, they don't right now. Yeah. That to me fascinates me because it means their ego and the need to look good and not want to look stupid or goofy shooting underhand comes above mm-hmm. their desire to actually get better and stay in the league. Yeah. That fascinates me because yeah. if it was me, I would just shoot underhand. Like, yeah. I don't care. Like, go right. ahead make fun of me all you want. Like, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm shooting 93% and I'm looking stupid, I'd rather do that than look, what, a, l- a little bit uh, more manly but shoot... 49% like that makes no sense to me yeah and I'm curious too because like the difference of like you or I thinking about putting ourselves in the position 
we don't have the outside influence of it, right? So, right f- from sitting here, it's like, of course, if I can be a ninety percent free throw shooter, like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot there and I'm gonna shoot underhand and like go screw, right? Mm-hmm. We I don't know what the impact of hearing like. 10, 15 million people telling me that I look stupid or that that's terrible or that I'm an awful person for or like what, whatever the whatever the trolls that come out of the come out of the woodwork for shooting like that like what the impact of that and then on like a sustainable level um, and then if you're not doing any type of work and again this is speculation of like if he's doing any mental training or not um, but like how that tidal wave of negativity comes for when you have like such a huge platform of people that are coming at you. I'd but they're curious. dealing with it anyway. This I, is the thing. Like, I agree. I've seen, you remember Shaq used to have all kinds of different ways to try to get better at shooting a free throw. Yeah. He'd like hop on one leg and yeah. like, do, you know, like all kinds of things. And yeah. so he clearly didn't care about looking goofy, right. but refused to do that. I think, so I don't know if it's that they convinced themselves that one different way of shooting and trying it out looks less goofy than that underhand invert. I don't know. No idea. But yeah. that, that to me is like the ultimate example of like, I think a lot of times ego will get in the way and, and fear will get in the way and that dictates decision-making over what's actually in the best interest. Yeah, I agree. Know? And I think that like the concept of like hero ball is another example where that comes up where players will like take a bad shot to be the hero versus the smarter play to win the game. Particularly in the G League. That's Pati- Particularly yeah, yeah. in the G yep. League, right? And I mean, there's, there's even been examples of that on, on the Celtics. There was a, I forget the game. Um, last year where Tatum took like a ridiculous three-point shot. Luckily, it went in. Um, but there was a better play, right? I guess yeah. you can argue yep. like it went the way that it should have, but it was like a contested three double team. The guy was, um, I think it was, I forget who it was, who was op- underneath. I think it might have been Smart who made the cut, but mm-hmm. it was like wide open layup yep. to like for the win with the time. But like that concept of hero ball is like a big one in there too. And I wonder if that circles into... You know Simmons not wanting to take those big those big shots um, yeah. because because of that so absolutely so um, I think I think we'll end our our, our rant on yeah. Ben Simmons for now um, maybe we'll revisit that depending on I did hear rumors that he may I mean the latest rumors that he'll get traded within the week possibly to Houston so we'll see what happens with that yep um, so I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Grim Drive podcast uh, for our discussion about Ben Simmons. Uh, We will put all the links in the uh, show notes and on our website at grimdrive.com, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.